0: We've just returned from the Tucson Gem Shows, so it's a great time to revisit my conversation with Todd Reed last year. Todd calls Tucson a family reunion for the industry. As an emerging artist, it's where he found other people who appreciated his unconventional take on jewelry as a raw, personal, elegant art. Enjoy this episode with Todd Reed. Welcome to Jewelry Artists, where we examine the art and business of making jewelry. Join me for intriguing conversations with jewelry artists who will inform and inspire you. I'm Katie Hacker, your host. My guest today is Todd Reed. He's an award winning jeweler who uses raw diamonds for one of a kind jewelry. Hey, Todd, I'm so excited to have you, the jewelry renegade, here. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks, Katie. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. That's a nice intro. I, I, that's the first I've heard of that one. I like it.
0: Oh, feel free to just run with it. You know.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking I put a tattoo on my wrist or something.
0: I think you should. <laughs> yeah. No. I. Th- I mean, I read. I read a lot about you, and we've met before, and I think um, a lot of people are familiar with your work already. So I'd like to hear about. Um, you know, how, why raw diamonds. I think that's really what set you apart when you kind of burst onto the scene, but is that what you think?
1: Yes, definitely. I don't think there was, I was like really aware of any scene um, or anything, although I had exhibited it Tucson um, as a seller prior to me using rough diamonds, but, and I had done some things in jewelry, but people liked it, but didn't love it. And there were, you know, and people were, you know, there were techniques or things that I was doing that were interesting, but um when I stumbled across the metaphor of rough diamonds, basically, um, I started using them really around questioning of value. You know, as a young art jeweler sort of questioning things in my stuff um, or working under the con- under the construct of um, artist rather than a jewelry company or jeweler. You know, as a major uh, yeah. yeah, coming into this thing, I was about questioning value. Yeah. And the raw diamonds, I think, were the great differentiator. Although people have messed around with them, I think I was the first to really make a whole line out of them and especially start to make wedding jewelry.
0: When you say raw diamond, what exactly are you talking about? Meaning a
1: diamond that's yet to be cut or polished. So diamond that comes out of the ground, whether it's a cube or an octahedron or a mackle, um, a board shape, you know, a broken thing about us. We started, you know, cutting rough diamond into shapes over time. Um, but when I say rough diamond, I mean an uncut, unpolished diamond. I think the industry in the trade calls anything opaque raw uh, mm-hmm. is a misnomer. Raw uh, is is rough. It's the same thing. It means that it's not uh, cut or polished yet. And even if it has a window cut into it out of a factory or something, I don't call it rough anymore. Because uh, it's
0: been through processing. Yeah, it's been cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense.
1: Yeah, once it's been cut, it's not uncut anymore.
0: Is it true that those kinds of diamonds are a byproduct of colorless diamond mining, or yeah. do, do you go after them specifically?
1: Well, the idea. Well, I started doing these in 1992, in a, in a big way, and back then they really were. There was no industry for rough diamond other than abrasive thanks to like Jack Greensman and Crystal Light and other people that you guys are well aware of back from from but back then, um, in the late forties when that abrasive industry was invented. Prior to that there was nothing. And then even up until the early nineties, mid nineties, late nineties, I'd say there wasn't even still any other use for the rough diamond other than abrasive. And certainly not in jewelry. Like, you know, not even walk the gem shows. Nobody had rough diamonds you know, and now everybody has rough diamonds. So it was a, you know, again, it was something that I felt was really, really unique. Um, I was buying from industrial suppliers and, and, and whatnot until I found my main, my main guys, but people had generally overlooked rough diamond as a, as a part of the fine jewelry industry. Um, that was, that was the luck I had or the foresight that I had was to blend it in with the, with the rest of fine jewelry.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people are drawn to diamonds because of the story, like you said. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is also obviously this heirloom that people have all these associations of their own with. And by kind of mixing that story of the heirloom jewelry with this raw material, I think that is really different. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, I can see why you like it.
1: Yeah, it's a it's beautiful raw material. It comes in a, a gazillion forms. And what I wanted to celebrate right off the bat in making jewelry was the uniqueness of things or what we called like early on in the game, like the fifth C, which was character rather than the
0: first. Oh, four. that's great. Yeah. You
1: know, the first four Cs are sort of about sameness. You know, of course, we went like, well, diamonds shouldn't it be something that makes them different? Like, well, gosh. And then I went like, oh, high school geology, like, shit, they are different. They are amazing and they're totally unique. Like the crystal structure is amazing. They're really sparkly and they refract beautifully. If if, if they're opaque, they often reflect beautifully. Um, And the shapes are really unique. And I think people who are going to use these as a hallmark of love, um, who think that their love is somehow unique, why are we so attracted to always the ring that looks the same? So it really was a question of not only value, uh, dollar value, but personal value.
0: Yeah, it's really grounding too. You know, I think the raw diamonds are really, have a grounding quality to them.
1: Yeah, I do too.
0: Did you start out as a mineral guy? (laughs) Um, Kind
1: of. I mean, I started out real young doing everything. So I kind of became everything all at once. I started getting into the rocks in high school. Even prior to that, I always loved rocks. I always was a collector. But I started this business in high school. So um, outside of jewelry, um, you know, did the geology as a passion and they just blended and then I, I started yeah so I guess I was a rock guy but it turned <laughs> out. I'm it not like
0: they a, came it was a synergy there <laughs>
1: I'm not like a hounder I mean only mm-hmm. like my family everybody has like rocks and like you're you're definitely going to get a rock in your stocking, or a, <laughs> you know a beautiful carving or the rock guys know me because I love rocks but it's not super part of my oh
0: uh, that's great <laughs> I'm gonna bring a stocking over to your mantle at Christmas time I hope that's okay <laughs> <laughs> <So definitely. laughs> when you were learning about jewelry was so that was this a high schooler
1: well i didn't really do any jewelry in high school but i was high school age when i was because i had some issues getting out of high school and i started making jewelry as uh, well i started making jewelry young in life as a way to give people gifts but i did mm-hmm. it in um jewelry in high school again as a way to make gifts and then right when i got out of high school between before i would have gone to college i got a job doing leather smithing and in that leather smithing job we did concho making and belt buckle making and all kinds of silver smithing and stuff and so I kind of so it was like that year like where high school ended and life began that I started working in the jewelry and cutting rocks also for another job so it was like wow. all, all happening kind of at once and I was also developing my own thing which was this kind of quirky stuff that I still make
0: the quirky stuff being jewelry stuff or the quirky stuff oh, being other arty things?
1: The jewelry objects, you know, whether, yeah, back then in the 90s, it would have been um, like I'd make something and then make it like a really unique box for it or whatever. It. You oh, know, nice. I had a lot of like things going on with it. It was less of a business and more of like a learning the craft. And then, of course, it you know, became a business. But uh, it was the leather sniffing that got me Really, really turned on to the jewelry making um, as metal smithing, like in high school and everything it was like a lot of jewelry design and making things in classes. But it was uh, working as a leather smith where I, I did learn solder and stamp and make tools, and that kind
0: of. Thing. What do you think that yourself back then would think now? It seems like you've had a huge trajectory, you know, from being kind of an apprentice and student to... You have other people that you're teaching now, and who work with you, and customers you work with, and it seems like a, a really great outcome, you know, from what, all those things that you learned.
1: Yeah, it's like a logical like. If I could see myself now, back then, as I was back then, now, that kind of question, like I think, yeah,
0: I know it's a hard one.
1: Be like, you know, like all right man still keep it simple and you've come like gone off the rails a couple of times but like you know that that, that good <laughs> that good base of skills and passion around the rocks and the craft of it all is
0: mm-hmm.
1: keeping me here is keeping me um keeping me going usually yeah I think that's
0: bringing all together
1: yeah um and that's the rails, I guess, is that like the strong backbone or the actual love. And sometimes I actually have lost it over the years and found it again. And I guess um, I'm thankful for that beginning where it was just passion. It wasn't like a, a business decision to become a jeweler <laughs> or to make a jewelry company. It was a a way that I found myself as a human in this crazy world was to make Things with my hands and the the love and the connection and the precision and all the things gelled together in jewelry and I'm really grateful for that. And you know, sometimes you know you do lose the the passion or whatever, but I do think it, it it's always come back for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it gets complicated having a business that is grown out of something that you love. I mean, for me, it's the only way, but it is not always the easiest way. Right. Well said. Thanks. Well, let's talk a little bit about, I read something about you ran across the idea, the Quaker principle of the right relationship, and that you have been able to apply that to your business.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I read that in the questions about the Quaker thing. I'm not really sure about that. So I mean, no disrespect to anybody out there who does hear this, if it is a Quaker thing. I got turned on to the idea what what my best friend Bennett called right relationship from a Buddhist principle.
0: Oh, okay. Um, and Sorry about that.
1: That's okay. I, I, it could very well be Quaker. I think that a lot of these probably, you know, religions or share similar principles around things like, Right relationship, which are are sort of a triumvirate between civic responsibility, social responsibility, and environmental stewardship, and that was just a a choice of you know. I think I was describing what I was doing to my friend back then, you know, way back when, he was like, "Wow, that sounds like you know right relationship principles or whatever." I was like, "Oh, what's that?" You know, and then he described it just like I did. Oh, it's this triumvirate that always gets this equal energy. You know, nothing becomes falls out of balance between civic. And social responsibility, um, coupled with environmental stewardship, and I think that that's important because you know our our sustainability or being green or using recycled materials for us was a was how I started the brand way back in the you know the nineteen eighty eight early nineties, and when it became popular in the trade or the industry, I sort of I didn't. It was just like a choice of how I was going to run the company. It wasn't a choice on oh, now we have to do this or we have to change things or whatever. It was just part of the way I started the company. So,
0: Oh, good for you.
1: What that looks like would be not doing anything, or at least to my knowledge, I mean, you do have to trust people at a certain point. I've had really good questions like, well, how do you know that that's true, and I mean, ultimately, you don't know anything's true. Like you know, if you believe it to be true, it is true, and at the same time, nothing's really true. And you know, I mean, we get really for mm-hmm. about this if we want, but at a certain point, we have to trust somebody. <laughs> and I've been work; I try to work with people I trust, or you know, uh, for, for everything. So socially, you know, social and civic responsibility would include not only our region, like our town, and our you know, local, local as well as national as well as international. But I'm um, you know, just trying to keep the process not from tipping the scale into one one negative aspect or another, like taking raw materials from one place or hurting the environment to build a business to get raw material. And in this business, I think that this stewardship idea and responsibility is very important. And so we, you know, we buy secondhand or recycled or upcycled material. Right? The for way- all
0: of your metals, you mean, or for everything?
1: Uh, yeah, stones and metals. I
0: know, there's, wow. not,
1: there's so much out there that there's really to need to get new stuff for the most part. Um, and that also is Melly. You know, way back when we kind of got this hit, like, what the heck is happening? All these people are selling gold in 2008, 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, 16. And it was like, what's happening to all the stones in there? All the melee, you know, like oh I, yeah, everybody will give you like a what for your what in gold. But what happens to the other stuff? Um, so and, for
0: people who are like exchange, doing a gold exchange kind of thing, going through their treasure, their treasures, and yeah. exchanging uh, them for cash.
1: Right. When I sell my class ring, I get paid for the gold, but not the diamonds or the sapphires or whatever. Yeah. Well, we come to find out that those things have just been getting bagged up and stored under counters at these gold melting places and you know we started working with our diamond dealer to get us what we now what now is an industry standard called breakout you know so it's basically a recycled or upcycled diamond um we started doing this way back when and it's really the same way we buy diamonds now and i always argue that diamonds are diamonds you know carbon c4 is c4 And if it carries a grade for a reason. That's why we have this great system that we love. Um,
0: The five Cs. (laughs)
1: Exactly. The four Cs that matter in the pricing. Um, And then, so why not get upcycled, recycled diamonds that have been broke out of melts? Um, That
0: makes sense, yeah.
1: How we buy Mellie and, you know, we have a little strategy for each kind of diamond. that we buy.
0: When you say we, are you working with a team?
1: Well, you never do it alone. I mean always a team even when I was alone it was never alone because you got like Andrew selling me the stones or you know uh, Moreau writing about things or uh,
0: you right.
1: know. <laughs> the postman way back when when I would walk everything down every day and pick stuff up you know that guy became part of the team because they got to help you out if you miss something or you're past your four days or whatever whatever they hold things for you and then as I would get staff regardless of their position, whether they were designers, um, I mean, nobody's ever been a designer, but you know, whether they're the, not the designer or the designer doesn't matter. It's always a we, because we always do, you know, everything from the bookkeeper down to me, you know, the person.
0: Yeah, you're right. Um, when I worked exclusively at home, which I do again now, but I don't know my mailman as well now as I used to, <laughs> but you know, he used to stop by and we'd have a chat and it's true. It does start to feel like they're part of your business and part of your success.
1: Yeah, it's true. And we think the people don't really care, but we do. I and mean, these FedEx drivers, these people, they like all of a sudden they're like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know Katie. I know, you know, I know. Right. I know. Tush. They got 25 packages last week. Things must be going <laughs> well. It's, it's small town stuff. People get into it. We want to champion each other as humans. And but, you know, if we're aligned even or we think we're doing something for, you know, say a small business in a small town that's employing people and making things happen or like, you know, all the way down the line, people want to touch it and it wants to be touched. So, yeah, it's always a we for me, regardless of the size of the company. Yeah. So
0: you have a showroom there in Boulder and, and that's where you do your work as well, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We make it in the same uh, space just behind a piece of glass. So people can really interact with the jewelry being made when they come into the store.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. Mm-hmm. A good idea. And do you take your show on the road or do you have people mostly coming to you? That's a really good question.
1: You know, right now it's COVID. So we're not really, we haven't done anything all year and I haven't pushed it. And right at the beginning of March, I did tell everybody that I wouldn't be traveling or my company for the whole year. So even if things... Were to look like they were going to get better, I was going to give it a year. So, in general, we do travel quite a bit, and we rely on it through the wholesale network. But you know, I have a store here, so we always have some things, and people do come here. And even my store, like for example, I just read an article in which I could remember them. I was in Town and Country, maybe even on uh, with a, a store that we work with, and they bring clients to us. They're in Florida, but they you know they bring clients to our store here. Oh wow. And some stores that we work with through our wholesale network, of course, will bring the clients here again because you gotta trust somebody sometime. And if we get to that point where everybody trusts everybody enough, we have an amazing experience and a beautiful store and showroom. And if you wanna see a lot of Todd Reed, it's I mean, I got the most. So mm-hmm. so it does behoove the store to embrace the idea of coming out here. Um, but for the most part, you know, we do we do both you know, travel and have people here.
0: Yeah. I can see how you're creating an experience where people want to come to you, but that sometimes you have to take it out and show it around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not just the, and not to correct you, we do have to, but we also want to, because that we, we don't have those, like say through our dealer network, which is big, there's a lot of opportunity that we don't have. And a lot of people obviously aren't going to get on a plane or want to drive or even deal with anything. Um, so it, it's really, you know, customer service or good experience really comes down to like, what makes it easier for you? I'll meet you anywhere. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It doesn't really matter to me. Right. Um, I do yeah. have a good experience, but trust me, we're going to have a great time no matter where we meet. So, you know, where do you, let's make, just kind of like make it happen more.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, can you give us some tips for people who are shopping for raw diamonds or jewelry that features raw diamonds? Is there something in particular that they should be looking for besides that five C's? <laughs> I can't um, let go of that. That's so fun. Yeah. the You know, raw diamonds
1: are different than cut diamonds. And I always tell people, like, you go with what you like. People oftentimes ask me, did I get a good one? I go. Why wow, I think it looks like a good one. If you feel like it's a good one, they're um, good
0: ones. Yeah, they're all
1: good ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they are all created equally. Um, you know, this is this is a game of um, passion and desire. This is not a game of needs. You know, this is like um, the crystals themselves um, are so drastically different. The colors. Some people like myself are drawn to like really opaque things that have all kinds of weird angles and big things shooting off of them and weird stuff, you know, twin dodecahedrons and cornflowers and, um, you know, unique things because I'm looking at them all day long. At the beginning, the the first thing, I I love the cube. I still think it's the most fascinating shape because of the geometry. I just loved how like the jewelry industry or the is or the whoever's the Oppenheimers or whoever or the whoever said you know most perfect cut in the world it could be I don't know who said it but you know whatever it sounds very true it's like the most perfect cut in the world mm-hmm. it, like right. oh, yeah and I was thinking like yeah TM and I was thinking like huh that thing comes out of the ground like I mean it comes out as a perfect cube now I'm thinking architecturally like we've been running around the world trying to duplicate this strength. And the fortitude and these angles, um, like even as a craftsman, you might go through a school and your whole test at the end might be to make a cube. And you likely fail. It's very challenging. So your mm-hmm. nature is making them perfectly. And then we're going and cutting them and calling them the perfect cut. So I thought it was fascinating. So I do think the cube is still the most interesting. Um, of course, translucent rough, like rough that would get cut, is always nice to grab something before it gets cut um, because you can't cut uncut it ever. So, um, you know, a, a beautiful translucent, juicy octahedron or something—I think is very special. I always look for perfect geometry. You know, like um, if it's a mackle, let it be a let it be really triangular. Let it all the angles be be perfect. If it's a cube, make the angles be perfect. And if somebody's like, "Well, that's hard," like, "Well, yeah, that's that is hard. That's what makes it really special when you find one." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, same with octahedrons. Make the faces be nice if it's a ballast make it be a perfect sphere um i like that i like that about about the, the rough diamond
0: yeah i hadn't really considered that, that idea of geometry mm-hmm. and how that could really be what draws you in yeah do you feel like with um the metals um that you're building around it or near it are reflective of that mathematical feeling i don't know if that makes sense yeah
1: it does make sense. Um, one of the things that I've done that is unique and around rough diamonds is I, I actually work with the rough diamond. And I think that's what made my work somewhat successful is that, you know, we didn't try to make the rough diamond, not a rough diamond. The rough diamond is a rough diamond. Um, meaning that if all the sides aren't exactly the same, like our bezels aren't always the same or our mounting, you know, so our mounting is really right. stone. So that got us really fancy on undulating and weird thicknesses and thin and thick and all and narrow. and all the angles, different angles, all throughout the whole stone, all the way around. But I think that's the cool part of working with the rough diamond. Again, if we were using only cut diamonds and we say had a 0.005 millimeter tolerance for our mountings or whatever, it was like almost be like we didn't need to be stone setters or goldsmiths. Stuff just fits. And I really like that handsy aspect of working with rough diamonds.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean and I think from looking at your work it feels like a very you're layering a very I don't know if you're going to like the word precise, but I feel like there's some a lot of precision there, but it's too an organic shape.
1: Mm-hmm. So yep. the
0: precision is it kind of turns on its head the the ideas we have about what precision should look like.
1: Yep. And it's a real challenge, you know, try to make a <laughs> you know, a set of hinges on nothing that's straight that operates totally straight, and you go like, oh, yeah." there's a lot of stuff inside those that make them line up right. You know, because certainly the stone isn't level, but the, right. hinge, but the hinge has to end up level. You know, yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's really fun. Um, and I think when people get into the jewelry, you start looking at it, turn it inside out, start working it. It's fascinating. It's, yeah, really cool. The rough diamonds, though, aren't for the faint of heart which is why most of us as jewelers end up buying them and never using them
0: oh <laughs> you have your little um uh, little stash and that's all
1: yeah because you know, that's a challenge but um, I, I um really the stones. they're just yeah, they're fantastic beautiful
0: if you weren't working with diamonds or aren't working with diamonds what stones would you want to be working with
1: yeah, i do work we work with everything um i'm kind of well known for diamonds in that at the time not that many people were doing it so my mm-hmm associated with it but i like um all materials i'm working on a bunch of projects with turquoise right now Um, i'm fascinated by blue stones and green stones so i mean i'm basically like a regular jewelry person in that i go for tourmalines, and i've got a pile of like emerald rings that we're doing for some clients right now and um yeah i'm just breaking sapphires all the time um, you know, there's there's so many alternatives to diamond. It's certainly what differentiated me. And I think from a business perspective, if you want to differentiate at some point, you've got to choose something that does differentiate. Um, sure. I mean, you don't, you don't, you know, it's like if we spoke a crazy language. Like we probably still have to speak one that other people understood too. You know, so I, I do use, you know, materials that people get, um, as well as the rough one.
0: So it's not all renegade all the time. Is that what you're saying? <laughs>
1: I'm not saying we, <laughs> uh, the way that we use uh, even conventional materials is unique, but, um, <laughs> but but I do try to make things that can get get something to somebody at the end of the day. <laughs> so so thicknesses and width and sizes, and but I'll do. I mean, recently, like in talking to a client, for example, with a uh, emerald, it was like, you know, for sure, emerald cut emeralds are amazing, but what if we can get like a straight cornered? emerald for you in the same size, same quality. It's like, well, huh? Well, why doesn't anybody do that? Well, it's like, well, it's dangerous. I mean, stuff to break on you. It's not that easy to set. Not that many people want to, you know, try to get those real super square corners on that kind of material. And, um, you know, but I think it's really unique. You know, if, if we could pull it off, one, if we could find it, we could set it. <laughs> it doesn't right. it break on our hand. Then, you know, haven't we pulled something fantastic off? That's really a unique special piece. And we'll, of course, put it in a mounting that supports like this lifestyle. The young couple, but um, I'm thankful that he wanted to try something unique. You know, we do a lot of regular emerald cut emerald. It's really nice to get like that you know, that that straight one out there um, because the guy really did want to be
0: unique. Yeah, and work with some to work with something different like that is makes it a little bit more fun, more ch- a lot more challenging. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, for them too. Yeah, as to like say like, do we want something that's a little bit off? Um, I always say like, we'll let us worry about the 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 how to part. We just want to work focus on the design. The client and somebody wants something really unique, but has a real traditional aesthetic like this. It's just a simple bezel on a band. Well, let's make it the cut, then. Let's let's try to get it unique in the cut.
0: Mm-hmm. I like what you said about um you know that people's love for each other is unique, and so they should have something that reflects that unique quality and not same, same. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite piece of jewelry that you've made?
1: It's tough. No. I don't think so. You know, I really love them all, and I think I love them all. I'm all right. Like full disclosure about me is and it is like I oftentimes will be like, "That's my favorite movie I've ever seen." You know, and I'll say that <laughs> for every movie or like if I watch a show or go to the theater, I'll be like, "That's the best performance I've ever seen." So my shop. If they would listen to this, which they probably wouldn't, um, just just because whatever, not because of it. But no, I know he would, they, they would hear it <laughs> He always does that. He'll be like, "This is my favorite piece," and I will really sell it. We have a company lots of company meetings and stuff, and I'll be like, "The favorite thing that we've ever made in 32 years is this piece," and it'll be <laughs> whatever. It could be a, like a ball mark for a golf thing or some like a, <laughs> a, a, a some little thing or some big thing. Um, I think the reality is I really love them all and at any given moment you know something feels more special Um, I've had a few like ultra special things that I've made over the years but typically for family family or friends
0: yeah that labor of love and then the person that you give it to yeah it becomes part of the story too
1: exactly but they all do really a tremendous amount of love all of them so yeah I think that's important
0: Yeah, I do too. It shows. (laughs) It's beautiful work. Well, Todd, it's just been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Sure.
1: Eddie, thank you so much. I appreciate you.
0: Thanks. Thanks for listening. To see pictures, please check out our show notes, interweave.com slash jewelry artist dash podcast. Jewelry Artist is hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker. We had help from Tamara Hahnemann and Merle White, a special thanks to the team at Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist Magazine. Jewelry Artist is an interweave podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. Our podcast producer is Matthew Talisfor. Tammy Jones is our web editor and Jesse Rodriguez does our marketing. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.